Yeah, so uh, just some cultural things. One, um, I have spent my whole life uh, in a pretty small town in Georgia. Uh, And so if there are some cultural differences, that's certainly not on purpose on my part. Uh, You you preach and you try to to build any bridges best you can, but sometimes I, I may say something culturally that you don't understand. If it's confusing to you, I'm happy to answer afterwards. The second, I've spent the last 17 years of my life talking to 12 to 18 year olds. So uh, obviously that that creates some of my verbiage and some of my comfort level of interacting with people uh, as well. So if I say an inappropriate joke, I don't have any on the paper, but sometimes these things just uh, kind of bubble up during a, a talk. Uh, that's not my intention as well. And then just one last, uh, JD, I only knew him as John for the first about 18 years of my life. And so, uh, so he... He has been going by J.D. or John David. That is, I have to make a conscious effort to call him one of those two. So if I say the word John, same guy. They're synonymous to me. I'm not uh, trying to trick anybody uh, or anything like that. Uh, and so John, J.D. was saying um, this thing on the church calendar uh, and how the church has, has had this rhythm for 2,000 years. That is very foreign to me. My wife and I are very new to, to this idea that Uh, We've always lived by a school calendar. Uh, We've always lived by a sports or athletic calendar. Uh, In the South, you have college football to bowl season. Uh, And then there's this, you get to the Super Bowl in early early February. And then there's this month where you're like, what do I even do with my life? You put it on ESPN and there's like pro bowling and and, and cornhole competitions. And you go, what? what?" And we just count down the days till spring training. And then you go into that and you... And we have that, that kind of rhythm. Uh, I never knew as a child that the church had this rhythm that entered into the ups and downs of life and the celebrations and the, and the grief of, of the, the, the interaction of God and people uh, throughout the scriptures. And so it's been really refreshing to me. Uh, I understand that if you grew up in a, in a very liturgical context, you might be going, boy, you do that church calendar for 30 years and tell me how much you like it. We want new, fresh, and energetic. Uh, well, for somebody who grew up in a, a denomination that was always fresh and new and energetic every Sunday, it was hard uh, to really kind of find your bearings sometimes in the difficult seasons of life or the really exciting seasons of life. And so what the church calendar has done uh, in our home has given us um, a rhythm. That, that we can either force ourselves into, that, that help us when people are struggling to understand and maybe enter into their pain and suffering a little better. Or maybe the church calendar in these moments that are festive and exciting, it's helped us to be in a moment. You ever, you ever feel like sometimes we just bounce from occasion to occasion and we're never really in that moment? And so these, these festive moments on the church calendar uh, help keep us aware to, to be there to be present, to not be hurried, to not look to the next best thing. Uh, it's taught us how to live well in ordinary time or exceptional time. And so, uh, so today marks this 50th day uh, past Easter. And so really it should be 50 days of feasting that kind of end today. And uh, it's, a, it's a celebration day. For the first time in our body, our family, the church, we had brothers and sisters learning a totally new way to live life in this new power, this new lens, this, this whole new context of viewing everything 
about their lives. It radically changed every facet of their life. I'll give you a real-world example. Imagine life before smartphones, right? Like, you probably had a, a VCR. You probably had a recorder if uh, you were a, a person of means. And uh, you probably had a digital camera or a regular film camera. Uh, you probably had, uh, if you were, you know, wanted to do memory, you would have like a voice recording, all these things. And then one device, one simple little 15 square inch device made all of those things uh, really uh, kind of obsolete. Like you, we don't need them anymore. And so just imagine, you know, a couple thousand years ago, folks who had spent their life working and laboring, uh, trying to, uh, to make enough sacrifice to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with their friends. Imagine getting the Holy Spirit. Imagine getting this power source, this thing inside of you that now it, it, it radically changes everything. And so a Sunday like today ought to feel kind of bubbling up with new anticipation. Like I imagine a young person going to Disney World for the first time and just this world of opportunity. They have no idea that their mind can even fathom uh, awaits them. Or maybe a young person with a tablet their first time and going, this is going to change everything, you know, good, bad, and different. And, and go through all the technology there. So that's kind of where we're at today on the 50th day after Easter at Pentecost. Let's read in Acts chapter 2. If you have one of the large prints in the back, that's on page 1008. And uh, in the story here, what we're catching up is Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's come back. God has resurrected him from the dead. He's spent about 40 days with the disciples, other Christians in the area. And he says, hey, I'm going to go back to heaven now. Don't go anywhere. Stay put. And I'm going to send you the gift. The Father's going to send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's in Acts chapter 2. This little part of the narrative is in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 32 through 41. And this is kind of the context I'm going to work within today. If you're taking notes, feel free to write this down. But just kind of listen for the main, main context here. The gift of God to the world is the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. It's given to empower the Christian, to encourage the world, and to emancipate the slave. So with those things in mind, let's read Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 32 and read to verse 41. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out uh, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone 
whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Would you join me as we pray? God, we thank you. Uh, We receive this word today as a gift from you, and we know that it's true, that we can bank our our lives on it. Our lives can rest on the truth of your words. They're given to us in your truth because you love us. And so, Lord, as I pray that we would be able to receive them in a way that, that brings glory and honor to your name, in a way that sets us free from from even ourselves in some ways and helps us to love you well and love our neighbors well. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at three things today. As we mentioned, the gift of God to the world is the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus given to empower the Christian to encourage the world and emancipate the slave. Uh, and so if you want the three little the, the subtitles there, empower the Christian, encourage the world, and emancipate the slave. Uh, the, the Christian calendar works on these two things. Christmas, God becoming like us. Easter in his death and his gift of the Holy Spirit to us that we might become like him. And so uh, Pentecost is only happening, we learn in this moment, that it's only through the power of his spirit. Jesus' spirit is coming to us. And you go, why is that even significant or why does that even matter? Well, it's, it's foundational on the completed or perfected or proven work of Jesus. His full resume of his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that's the spirit that we get. It's just not the spirit of God that's like philosophically and theologically true and good and, and mentally challenging and spiritually pure, but it's actually a spirit that's been lived out and tested and proven. Think about Jesus' life for just a moment. It's his baptism where he was baptized in the repentance of John the Baptist. It was in his temptation. The scriptures tell us that even though Jesus was tempted, he he knew not any sin. That's the spirit we get, that we could be tempted daily, sometimes moment by moment, and know that the spirit that, that Jesus gives us was also tempted. It was in his ministry, his love for others, his love for God, his service to others. Think of all the wonderful miracles that Jesus did, and he gives us that spirit. Think of his compassion, that he would be moved by the needs of people and the sadness of people and the joy of people. He would be moved and enter into that. It's that spirit that we get. It's that perfected, proven spirit. His righteousness, we get that spirit. It's in his suffering. We can even suffer and go through pain and trial, whether it's passive or active, and know that Jesus' Spirit is with us. It's in His Sonship. It's that Spirit that God would come to us and say, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I have an inheritance waiting for you, and I love you. It's that Spirit. It's in His death. We'll all die, and we can die in the grace of His Spirit. And it's in His resurrection that we'll be born again. We'll live anew in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's in that spirit. Let's talk about that really quick, about that finished spirit, that proven, that tested spirit of Jesus that we get. You know, my wife and I, both of our kids have come to us through the work of adoption. And I don't know uh, if you're familiar with adoption at all, 
But I can tell you, it's a whole lot easier the old-fashioned way to, to come about a child. I promise you that. You're not going to adopt by accident. You can only adopt with lots of sweat, tears, and gnashing of teeth. It's the most intentional process my wife and I have ever participated in our lives. From physicals to psychological evaluations uh, to FBI fingerprints, uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation fingerprints, local police department fingerprints. It's the most grueling process I've ever been a part of in my whole life. Uh, I had to have my prostate examined, and I had no idea what that had to do with anything about me being a good father. I don't know if that was like how I dealt with suffering or pain or isolation. I don't know what the reason for that was. But it was part of the process and part of my physical, right? And there is a moment on this dossier where you get a stamp and it says, you are ready to adopt. Doesn't matter the kid, doesn't matter the place. If you have that completed, proven, tested document, like you slide it across the table and it's done, it's proven. We've done all the stuff that we have to do. And so when we say this proven, perfected spirit of Jesus is what we get, it's not this, this beautiful, wonderful, oh, absent from sin. No, it's been proven. It's been tested. It's been lived. It's been experienced in, in human form. It's not just something far off that, that God, it's a beautiful idea, but it, it travels well in us. This spirit wears flesh and blood really well and God gives us that and it's meant to empower us there's no suffering that we go through alone there's no joy that we celebrate alone when we have the spirit of Christ in us it empowers the Christian the second thing I want us to look at is it encourages the world I'm not sure how familiar you are with the the Bible and the full narrative but early in the scriptures we're learning that people are getting really smart They're all speaking one language, and they go, you know what? Let's take all the technology we've amassed in the world, and let's build our way to God and make a great name for ourselves. So they take this new innovative technology called a brick, and they start stacking them, and they start building them up, and they say, we're going to build a city that gets to God, and we're going to make a great name for ourselves. And God didn't necessarily like this. He didn't like the, the... the, the self-worship that they were participating in and wanting to make a great name for them. He's saying, you're selling yourselves too short that I created you to make a great name for me. And so the story says that God split them up, scattered them all across the world, and he confused their language where they wouldn't be able to communicate so well together. Um, uh, maybe in your home you understand what it's like to have struggles in communication and feel like you're speaking the different language than your spouse is sometime. I, that's my experience. I'm not trying to place that on you. But you know what it's like to have confused speech. And, and you, maybe you know what it's like to go to another country. And, so, and you're working so hard. You just want to connect with someone so bad. And there's that, that language barrier. And that's the story early that, that God scattered and confused their speech. And here... God is saying, it's going to be a new way. There's a a new language. There's a new speech. And Peter tells these folks who have come from all over the world, this Jesus that that you knew, this Jesus that you heard about, He's going to put His Spirit in you. He's going to send you all back to your places. And you know what? 
you don't, you don't just have to come to Jerusalem to experience God anymore. You can know the Spirit of God, the presence of God, and, and communal togetherness with God in a hut in Africa, in a, in a little brick house in Guatemala, in China, all over, wherever we go, the diversity of the world, there's one language. It's the language of God's Spirit. And where in the Old Testament people were divided and couldn't understand each other, God says, I love these people. I love this world and those in it that I created. And I'm going to put a language in you that you can all understand. You know, if I'm just guessing, uh, but in a room here, uh, we maybe some of us have experienced the divisiveness of religion. Uh, in my young life, here's what I've kind of noticed. The harder people try to build to whatever their God is, uh, there's always collateral damage when people working really hard to whatever their God is, they're willing to step on any, any other person in their pursuit. Uh, if I were to guess in this room, some of us probably bear some sort of scar that you got from some really bad religion at some point in your life. We tend to abuse others to get to where we're going. And the, the more passionate, the false idol we chase after, the more painful and harsh the abuse can be. Maybe it's you trying to get to God on your own and you, you know the exhaustion of trying to get to God personally as an individual. Maybe you've spent your life trying to follow all the rules. Maybe perfection is attainable and you just find yourself exhausted and frustrated. Maybe you've spent your life serving and working and trusting that somebody, somewhere, they notice and they appreciate and they love you for your service and yet you still find yourself deficient. Maybe you've spent your life disciplining yourself to labor and toil to impress whoever the authority in the room is and you find yourself tired and feeling that you still haven't done quite enough. Maybe you've spent your life trying to break it all down into understandable parts that you can control, that you know backwards and forwards. You're confounded that you still don't have all the answers. Maybe you've spent your life in worry and in fear and anxiety considering every contingency and your brain never seems to shut off. You've spent, uh, you're spent, exhausted, and you find yourself paralyzed in the face of even the simplest daily tasks. Maybe you've spent your life hoping and dreaming that the next best thing will be the one that satisfies your heart, only to find that when you get there, your heart still aches for something more. Maybe you've spent your life reducing it all to a, a tiny, simple understanding of how it's all supposed to go. You still feel overwhelmed and out of control. Maybe you spent your life trying to mediate, be the peacemaker and bring peace to all the conflict. And in trying to please other, others, you're still a stranger to your own self. That's the beauty of this passage. But God, in His great mercy, has built 
He's built a way down to us. He sent Jesus to be like us and to know us. And in turn, He has given us His Spirit that we may know Him and be like Him. And this is the beauty of the Gospel. And if you don't know that for your own life, receive that. And if you don't, if you do know it for your own life, think of the people you work with. Think of your neighbor. Think of family that, that just seems so dissatisfied. They've exhausted themselves. They've worked so hard building their blocks to that transcendent thing, whether it's money, power, influence. And they find themselves exhausted while God has built His way to them. I tell teenagers all the time, if they can get in the habit of this, learning how to receive the gift of God, the gift of God can't be taken or obtained. It's almost like the harder we grab for it, the more elusive it gets. But what we can do is say, God, what would you have for me? I would receive that. The Spirit of God is not something to be snatched or stolen or used or abused for our own gain. It's something to be received, and it's God's good gift to us. Uh, you know, sometimes in the church, I grew up in the church, and, and maybe you grew up in the church or not, maybe this resonates with you, but I can tell you the tendency of church folks sometimes is to try to work really hard. And we would hear things like, let other people see your good works before men and, and be salt to the earth. And as a kid growing up, it was like, hey, I just need to do awesome things for God. I need to work really hard. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to be the light for the world. I'm going to bless others with this wonderful life that I live. And so I go and, you know, I try to turn it on. And people go, you need to get saved and ask Jesus into your heart. And you go, okay, so, um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to be an amazing person. I'm going to do great, uh, great and beautiful and wonderful things for God. Uh, if I could only plug into something. And, and here's what we say in the faith. We go, you know what? Perfect. I got one, two, three, four, five, six spots left on my little power strip here. And I'm going to plug into that. This is kind of idiot proof. That's not even letting me do it. They're going, you can run me. All right, there we go. And we plug in. And then we go and we try to shine our light to the nations and to the world and to the difficult places of life. And so we go and we go, all right, I'm ready, I'm ready to go, man. I've, I've read my Bible. I've tried hard. I'm like doing all the rules and I'm following, but what's the problem? And you go, well, that's not how this works, right? We don't, that's not how this game is played. That's not the, the nature of a power strip. It doesn't have any power in and of itself to do anything. And so again, like, like religion based on us and ourself becomes exhausting. We plug and unplug and turn on and turn off and, and we just wear ourselves absolutely out because we don't have the power ourselves. And so the last thing we see here, Peter says, you know, save yourselves from this crooked generation. It's emancipation from sin. Can I tell you one of the reasons I love the Christian faith as opposed to others? Created things in the Christian faith are never inherently evil in and of themselves. Uh, the Christian faith knows that actively through our sin-sick hearts, 
or passively through this fallen world that we live in, that we are shaped and we are formed, and in some ways we are deformed. And the way we interact with God's creation is shaped and deformed. And God has made all these, all these things for us to enjoy. And sometimes in this world, whether somebody has, has uh, perverted the use of that good and beautiful thing in our lives, we, that, that pain splashes out on us and it shapes us. And sometimes it's our own heart looking to make something a ruling thing that was just meant to be a created an enjoyed thing. You know, this is something we dealt with working with teenagers for years. You would hear that 12-year-old go, if I could just get a smartphone, this would be my freedom, right? I will be free to know the world. The gaming, the social media, I will be free to be a teenager if I could just have a smartphone. They get a smartphone at whatever points that their parents decide to give it to them, and then for the rest of that child's life, what do we see at the restaurant? at the dinner table. And you go, that doesn't look like freedom to me. I remember as a 15-year-old in Georgia, you had 15, you know, you had your learner's license and you could get a driver's license at 16. And I remember thinking for a year, I'm a year away from my freedom, my emancipation, right? And then you go put gas in the tank the first time. You go, well, that, that wasn't a lot of fun. That was kind of painful, even though when I turned 16, my grandpa used to say stuff like this. I'm not that old, but gas, a gallon of gas was 99 cents a gallon in Georgia when I turned 16. It's crazy. And I remember getting my first speeding ticket and going, well, that doesn't feel like freedom. And I remember my mom showing me the insurance bill for that speeding ticket, and I go, that definitely doesn't feel like freedom. And I remember washing it and changing the oil and cleaning the tires and and. It, it felt, it didn't feel very freeing, the thing that was going to set me free. Our habits, they shape us. They form us. Our broken, sin-sick hearts, they shape us. And they form us. Uh, my first job, it was a small country church. Our finance lady was an elderly woman, the sweetest woman in the world, uh, named Miss Gerald. Uh, she had some uh, peculiar genetics. She was, had some proclivities to scoliosis. Uh, do they still do that test for kids? Hey, Noah, do they still do the scoliosis test for kids where you have to go into a room of everybody, take your shirt off, bend over like this, and then they rub your spine? It was the most awkward day in middle school I can ever remember. Miss Gerald had some proclivities to scoliosis. Miss Gerald also had some bad habits. She would love to sit on a really... Uh, old sofa that didn't help her posture and she would read the paper and she would hunch over and so to know Miss Gerald uh, walking around at church she would do like this and if you were going to talk to Miss Gerald you would have to get on her level and go good morning Miss Gerald it's great to see you today right and as our finance lady in the early 2000s in a small country church we didn't have credit cards we had no access to anything. The only way to get your hands on church funds was to drive over to Miss Gerald's house, sit on her chair. She knew this. She would hold you hostage for as long as she wanted to before she would write that check. And she would sit on her couch and she would look at you from the, uh, you know, the side of her head tilted there. And that was our relationship with Miss Gerald. Now, that wasn't just genetics in her. It was something happening in her body that was totally reinforced by some life 
and I would say spine-shaping habits, right? And that was how she lived. Much like us, Miss Gerald's only hope was to get rid of the thing happening inside of her body and to change her habits. For the Christian, the emancipation, our emancipation from sin comes from God giving us a new heart, a new spirit, where we can now start to reshape and reform our habits. And so for us in this room, when we learn to connect to a power source that's like created for us, our power strip works, and now we're able to at least, at the very least, shine our light to our neighbors. And we have all these extra rooms when somebody's like, hey, that's amazing. You, you're shining so brightly. We go, oh, there's, there's space for you. You can know this. So let's just take money for an example. In a world of greed, generosity stands out. Uh, with food in a world of overconsumption, uh, you Northerners don't struggle with this as much as us Southerners, but uh, in a world of overconsumption, satisfaction and contentment and fulfillment shine brightly. In our relationships, in a contract world, covenant shines brightly. For our recreation, in a leisure industry world, play and rest stand out. In our work, in a world of labor and production, vocational service work stands out. In our art, in an overly reproduced world, originality stands out. And for you, for the rule follower, Christ, He's your perfect righteousness. And for the one fighting to be noticed and loved, Christ sees you and He loves you and your service becomes your freedom. For the overachiever, Christ has accomplished every task and in Him you will find your rest. For the investigator, Christ is the trustworthy answer to every mystery. For the anxious soul, Christ is your provider and your sustainer and your peace and your rest. For the adventure seeker, Christ and His mission is your greatest adventure. And the next best thing resides in Christ's Spirit in you. For the reductionist and for the control freak, it's for and through and by Jesus that the world is held together, not by your labor and your toil. For the mediator, Jesus is the great peacemaker and He offers shalom, peace of God to whoever would receive it. See, the soul and the life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit now becomes something that shines brightly every day. And we interact with God's creation as a good gift. And just like the folks in the story who are from way out of town, who now know the Spirit, and as the Spirit goes back, it goes to everywhere. There's plenty of room for any who would be drawn like a moth to the light in this dark world. We're God's children. We live in His Spirit. And we bear witness every day in the way that we steward the good gifts of God. The challenge for you this morning is God's Spirit setting, your, setting you free to know God and to, to love others and to love God and to love others. Uh, is His Spirit 
allowing you and enabling you to shine a, a very different light in this culture. I'm not heaping some burden on you. I'll, I'm saying when, when, when God's Spirit is living in us, we start to live differently from the, the cultures that shape us and the industries that shape us. And it doesn't mean we quit our jobs. It means we, we steward them differently. It doesn't mean we give all our money away. It means we steward it differently. It doesn't mean that, that uh, we, we, we quit our job to go live in a monastery. It just means we steward it differently. It doesn't mean that, that uh, in, our, in our marriages, in our relationships, that we, uh, in, in the youth ministry, you would always go break up with that person. It doesn't mean that. It means you steward it differently in a power that doesn't come from you. And who... Who would benefit from that in your life? Who would know that in your life? That's the hope for Charlestown. Not a bunch of good people doing good things, but a bunch of Christian people living in the power and in the Spirit of God, loving and charting a course to life, true life, real life, in the language of God's love, the one language of God's love. If we could, let me pray for you and J.D. will come and close us out.